some crack, this Greg boy in there. He, uh, he's good banter too. We, we, we get good fun when we're serving together as well in the church. And uh, we, 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 ref, we refer to ourselves often as the two, the two chancers. Don't know, I don't know who's the greatest one, but um, we do get good fun. He talked about, he talked about parachuting, you know. Um, this was my chance to get him back, you know. He sort of parachuted me into this today. It was supposed to be him speaking today. And um, we met on Monday. We meet normally once a week for a couple of hours to pray together and talk. And he said to me, so what's, what's I'm speaking this Sunday, what's the passage? And I told him, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. And he read the first verse, and it mentioned the Antichrist. And he said, I think it's you who's supposed to speak. <laughs> I says, what do you mean? Oh, that stuff about the Antichrist and all. He says, no, no, I think you'd be better doing that. <laughs> he says, would you do it? I says, okay. So I've been trying, all week, I've been trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. <laughs> I, I was up all last night. I, I, still, I still don't know. I still don't know. So I'm none the wiser. But um, <laughs> Grace helped me out last night. And we did a wee Bible study together later on. And then we went on a prayer walk to Titanic Quarter at midnight last night. It was absolutely lashing down, and the wind was blowing a gale, we were walking around the Titanic Quarter praying. It was brilliant. Um, don't know how it came about, but she uses that wee term, YOLO, you only live once. She says, you only live once, Dad, let's go. Everyone else is in bed, and we were soaked. It was good, really, really good fun, and we were trying to figure out who the Antichrist was at the center of Belfast, but here we are anyway, this, this um, passage, 1 John 2, 18 to 27. Oh, the Bible class sees a character, you see. The young people can leave us. As we were worshiping, actually, at the start, it was a beautiful time of worship. Thank you, Simon, so much, and the band for leading us, and the team. Don't forget the team at the back who helped on the, the words and the sound. <clears throat> I felt the Lord um, speaking a word to me about reawakening an old song in some people. That's the sense I got as I was at the back, that just in these days, and even during our worship, I don't know if you felt that today, but for some people, a sense that in this season, the Lord is reawakening an old song. And I, th I think, think of what that means is, you know, like that includes like old dreams, you know, joys, heights that you once walked on with God, and that sense of God saying, I'm going to reawaken those things in these days, and I'm going, to, I'm going to bring those dreams back again. Those promises that I spoke over your life, and those purposes that I created you to fulfill, that I'm going to reawaken those again, and, and they're going to come with an even greater sense of vigor and passion, and there's going to be more progress in this season. So just, just allow the Holy Spirit just to continue to, just to reawaken what it is he needs to reawaken in you. Let's read this passage together, and then I want to, I'll not speak for a long, long time this morning. I want to leave a bit of time at the end, actually, and I, I want to let the Holy Spirit just minister to us. I think he wants to do that, and it's connected into what this passage actually teaches us. But let's read it together, give place to the public reading of Scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Judith has already mentioned in what she said here at the front about it being the last days. 
And in fact, yes, the last of the last days, because the last days, according to Scripture, actually began at the time of Christ. It mentions that in Hebrews, you know, in these last days, Jesus has spoken to us by his son. And here we have a reference in 1 John 2, 18, not to the last days, but to the last hour. So the early Christians lived with this sense of anticipation of the coming of Christ, not fully knowing all that was going on and trying to figure stuff out. The disciples were a right bunch, weren't they? Walking with Jesus, trying to figure all this stuff out, asking Jesus these crazy questions, sometimes silly questions. It actually gives me encouragement. I hope it gives you encouragement that we're all figuring stuff out. That's okay. That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And um, sometimes Catherine says to me, oh, Gary, Fripp, living with you at times, you know, you're always trying to figure something out. And I say back to her, you want to try and be me? <laughs> Actually living inside my body like all the time, it's hard work. So, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be on this journey of figuring stuff out. Everyone in this room is trying to figure something out. Might be related to your own personal life, might be related to your finances, might be related to your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your family, your church, whatever. We're all trying to figure stuff out. That's okay. The good news is the Holy Spirit's here to help us to do that. All right? We don't have to do that on our own. And that's what we're going to think about here in this passage. So verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So here we have in, in, in this passage, you know, there were these believers who were gathering with the, the church, what, what, what John Calvin labeled as the visible church, what we see here. And then some of these people who appeared to be Christ followers then basically departed from the ways of the Lord and went out again into the world. And John is saying that was an indication that they weren't actually of us. Because one of the key words here in verse 19 is the word continued. That is a sign of a genuine follower of Jesus. Yes, we have our moments, we have our twists and turns, we have our ups and downs, but we are people who continue in the faith. We are people who persevere in the faith because the Holy Spirit's inside us. And John's saying here, these people went out from us, they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Verse 20, but you, that is the genuine believers, followers of Jesus, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. 
Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And what a great promise it is, eternal life. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. That's the reading of Scripture. It is one of those passages when you first read it, you're like, what is that actually saying? <laughs> Do you know, it's a wee bit complicated at, at, at a first read, but that's my job to break it open for you, to help you to understand it, that you can take some food away with you today that you can feed on and chew on and you can be nourished. Really, the whole book of First John, as we've been looking about, um, light, love, and life, you could also add into that truth. And the biblical authors, and John was seeking to do this in this letter, are just trying to continually bring the people back to the person of Jesus. And it has been a theme already of our, our service today about simplicity. And sometimes we do have a wee tendency of overcomplicating things. And there is a sense in which John is saying in this passage and in the whole book, I just want you to bring it back to Jesus and what it means, key word down at the end of this passage, you read the word abide, what it means for you to abide in him, which is connected to the word rest, by the way, so what it means for you to abide in him and what it means for him to abide in you. So as you share in the life of Jesus and you understand who Jesus is, you will, you will feel sustained and energized and fed. That's what John's doing. He's, he's breaking this down. And he's saying, but it all starts with the person of Jesus. And you got to get it right. It's really, really important that you understand who Jesus really is because there are these people he calls them antichrists, many, many antichrists. So he refers here to the antichrist, this figure who's going to rise up in the world right at the end of time and is going to bring mass deception to the world, blasphemies against God. He touches on that figure who's mentioned actually in Revelation 13, 1 to 10. If you, if you want to go there even this afternoon in your own reading, you'll read there, about this figure called the Antichrist. He's not referred to as the Antichrist, he's referred to as the beast. There's actually two beasts are mentioned in that Revelation 13. The first beast, which most Bible teachers understand to be the Antichrist, and the second beast, which most understand to be the false prophet. And the beast referred to the Antichrist is working in partnership the one who is called the dragon in Revelation 13. That is Satan himself bringing deception across the world, blasphemy against the name of God. So John actually touches here on the person of the Antichrist. He says, you've heard of him. But he says, I want to tell you about, not, I want to focus in not just on the Antichrist, but I want, to, I want to teach you about many Antichrists. Or where John talks about in another part of his letter, 
in 1 John 4, verse 3, the spirit of Antichrist. So we think about the word Antichrist, anti meaning against. So Antichrist means against Christ or in the place of Christ. So the Antichrist who will rise up right at the end of this age is someone who will seek to take the place of Christ. But John is saying, I want you, I want you to think about this spirit of Antichrist, that there's, there's people who have actually come amongst you for a while, and then they've gone out from you, and they have actually denied, and what John spends quite a bit of time in here, they have denied the true relationship between the Father and the Son. And you'll see that, you'll see that phrase repeated throughout this passage. Understanding the truth about the relationship between the Father and the Son. And basically what John is saying is, is you can't know the Father unless you know the Son and the truth about the Son. And if you cast your mind away, way back to the very first message we spoke about in this book, we mentioned the belief system called Gnosticism, which was very prominent in the first couple of centuries of the church. And Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And basically, there were these people infiltrating the church, and they were saying, hey, it's all about having this special knowledge that God only gives to a select few. So there's this little group of us over here. We have all got the special knowledge, and everyone else is trying to find their way. And John is saying, no, 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 no. The true knowledge is actually found in the person of Jesus and understanding who he is. Basically, what was happening was the true character of Jesus in his full humanity and in his, the fullness of his divinity were under attack. So this biblical truth that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, okay? He's not 50% God and 50% man. He's fully God and fully man at the same time. This is the absolute incredible truth of our faith and of our life that the only way that God could solve the humanity's great problem, great sin problem, was to come down himself. So he took on that responsibility and he said, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they conspired this up long before any of this was even created in the mind and the wisdom of God. And we've been focusing that in previous weeks, haven't we? That little devotional thought that God already has a solution to a problem even before the problem arrives, arises. He's the God of solutions. So John's bringing them back and he says, you, you can't know the truth about the Father unless you know the truth about the Son. So this is John's letter. Now, even as I'm speaking, I'm sure some of your minds are going to John's gospel. When Jesus was revealing himself to to the disciples, and they were like, just, just show us the Father, that's enough for us. And what did Jesus say? He who, has, he, who, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to see the Father? Take a look at me. That's what Jesus says. Because I am the exact representation of God the Father, and that's the teaching of Colossians chapter 1 as well, which is amazing. And then Jesus says, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No, no, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see? 
And this teaching concerning the true nature of Jesus Christ was under great attack in the early centuries of the church. This was the big battle that they were facing. And John's just coming to steady the ship, speak some truth into the situation, and making them aware of the spirit of Antichrist. He's saying it's an operation among you. And as I was thinking about this passage, meditating on it, and praying over it, I thought to myself, do you know, it's possible for any of us to operate in the spirit of Antichrist. Maybe not, maybe not denying that Jesus is God, or maybe not denying that Jesus was fully human, but perhaps we can operate in the spirit of Antichrist by living a life that is Antichrist. Living a life that denies who Jesus is in all of his truth. Living a life that runs contrary to what the New Testament calls the law of Christ, the ways of Christ, the word of God, the scriptures. So at times, we can be Christ deniers, even as believers, when we fall into these patterns. And it's interesting that in this passage, that deception is highlighted. You know, it's possible for any one of us to be deceived. And do you know what the scary thing is? You see, when you're being deceived, you don't actually know you're being deceived. That's why it's called deception. Everyone else can see that you're being deceived, but you can't see that you're being deceived. And I think that's why we need to keep short accounts with God. And that's something that I've beaten that drum in this church for many, many years. Keep short accounts with God. Don't give the enemy a foothold in your life. Because once you give him a foothold, he then wants a strong, to become a, a stronghold, okay? He's never satisfied with just a little foot in the door. And that's how the enemy works. We leave a door open. We expose ourselves due to disobedience and sin. And he puts his foot in. You know, like you put your foot in and jam your foot in between the door and the architect just to keep it open. He's got a foot in. He's, he's, and, and, but he's never happy with that. He then wants to come in further and he wants to become a stronghold. He wants to get in the other or is he your life, into your home, into your family, into your mind. And then what he really desires is to become a stranglehold and just choke you to death and choke any sense of life or vitality out of you as a believer and just leave you completely drained. And that's why each day we need to be partaking in the life of Christ. You know, it's a beautiful thing to partake in the life of Christ. You know, it's a privilege to partake in the life of Christ. Every day for the rest of our days, to do what Jesus told us to do, and that is to eat, eat, eat of his body and drink of his blood. The disciples were all confused about that one too. What's he telling us to do? Like, slice his body up and eat it? Drain the blood out of him and actually drink it? No, no, no. Jesus was actually saying, I want you to feed on my life, my teaching, my truth, my spirit. Each moment of each day, I want you to be consumed by the person of Jesus Christ. That's where life is found. That's where freedom is found. That's where progress is found. I can't think of anything else better in this whole life. Offer me anything else, and I'll take Jesus every time. 
Because that's called seeking first the kingdom. And when you get the kingdom, you get all the add-ons too. It's beautiful. Why do we complicate it? It's because we are complicated. Don't worry, I'm complicated too. So the spirit of Antichrist was at work here amongst these people. And John is writing to them, and he's saying, listen, here's the key in keeping the short accounts. Here's the key in walking in the truth. Here's the key in living a life that is contrary to the spirit of Antichrist. He begins to talk about this anointing. So it's used three times in this passage. It's not a word that's used very often, actually, in the New Testament. And do you know why we often say, oh, he's very anointed. He's an anointed singer. He's an anointed preacher. He's an anointed leader, whatever it might be. It's actually, this word actually isn't used very much in the New Testament. And yet we have, we, 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 have, we have built this whole belief system upon it. I think it's good, but I just thought I would mention that to you. It's not actually... It's not actually recorded very much. Three times here in this passage, and once in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, where it talks about the, the anointing as well. As far as I can see, I might be wrong. If you can find another one, okay, let me know. But as far as I can see, they're the only four instances in the New Testament where the word is anointing is used referring to the anointing of the Holy Spirit being upon us. Okay, before you correct me in your mind, there are other instances where it talks about the anointing of oil or the woman who anointed Jesus, you know, with, with the oil too. And the book of James talks about anointing the sick with oil. But this concept of being anointed by the Spirit only four times, and we have the incredible privilege that here this morning that we get to, we get to see three of them here in this passage. Anointing. It says here that you've, you all have this anointing. Verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you. Okay, so when you think of anointing, you think of oil, the anointing of oil. And oil in the scripture is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So at the inauguration of the priests, the high priests and the kings in the Old Testament, they were anointed with oil as a symbolism that the power and the authority of God was resting on them and that they were consecrating themselves and setting themselves apart for God's service. In a similar way, the New Testament is teaching and John is teaching here that as sons and daughters of the king, we have been anointed, all of us have been anointed by the Holy Spirit We've been given power and authority. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we've been consecrated, and we set ourselves apart for service for God. Beautiful, isn't it? And you see how this runs contrary to the teaching of Gnosticism. Because Gnosticism, these Gnostics were trying to create these divisions and categories of people to say, we all have the special knowledge, and everyone over there doesn't. John comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I've got news for you, encouraging news, good news, gospel news. Everyone has the anointing. All believers in Jesus Christ have the anointing. Now, I know there's some of you have looked on at other believers, maybe even in the recent past, and have thought, I wish I was like him or her. Listen, that's a lie from the pit. The truth is, you have the anointing. You have the Holy Spirit. Say, I have the anointing. I have the anointing. Do you speak to yourself much? Do you do that during the week? You need to speak to yourself more. And you need to tell yourself that you have the anointing. 
You have the power and authority of Jesus Christ. You have the presence of the Lord in you. You're an overcomer. Okay? Because remember that the enemy, he's the deceiver. He's the deceitful one. He's, he's, the, he's the accuser. He'll dig up things that happened 17 years ago. That's why you get these wee flashes across your mind of something you did and 17 years ago that you know, you're ashamed of and all that. And Jesus says, listen, that's all under the blood. You have the anointing. And I want you to begin to look up and look forward. Lift your eyes up and begin to look forward to all that God has for you. The Holy Spirit, the anointing of God on us. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. There it's linked into the anointing of the priests and the high priests. And then this beautiful promise that Jesus gives in John 16.13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, all truth. And this is an incredible truth promise here at the end of this passage to do with the anointing. Listen, but the anointing that you received when you believed, okay? You can put your name in there. But the anointing that Holly received or Peter received or Johnny received or Antonio received, put your name in there. Do you ever do that when you're reading scripture? Let me encourage you to do that. You see where there's a you, put your name in. It becomes more personal. But the anointing that you received, the anointing that I received, now I'm sitting in my bedroom, I'm walking about and trying to figure something out, and I'm going, but Lord, the anointing that I received, I'm anointed. I'm powerful because of Jesus. I know when, when you take me in and just, of myself when I may be operating in the flesh. I can do nothing. But with the anointing, I can do all things. Because Christ is in me, and it's his anointing, and it's his power, and it's his energy, and it's his life, and it's his sustenance. You see? You go into the place of prayer, and you're, you're so weak and so fearful and so timid, and you come out like a lion. Alain was mentioned earlier on, and you're like, right, we're ready to face this problem head on because the solution, the solution is already in the heart of God. My job is to walk in the Spirit. You see, the reality is the calling in all of our lives is bigger than who we are. If the calling that God has given you doesn't seem like too big for you to achieve in and of yourself, it's probably not God's calling. It's supposed to feel big because God's big and it's his calling. And he says, just keep coming back to me and keep getting filled up. Keep coming back to me and keep getting filled up. I want to fill you up to overflowing. But you must learn what it says at the end of this passage here. You must learn to abide in him. The very last words of the passage that we read, verse 27, abide in him. And then in verse 27, it says, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. Does it sound familiar to the te other teachings of Jesus? Abide in him, and he abides, abides in you, John 15. It's the same author, and you shall bear much fruit. You see? 
we abide in him, we rest in him, we feed in him, he abides in us, he dwells in us, he fills us up to overflowing, and we live in the anointing. But here's the incredible thing. This just blows me away, okay? Do you know what, do you know what my problem is, and it's a good problem? I have never gotten over the 21st of October, 1997, when I bowed my knee to Jesus in a little church in Dundonald, I have never gotten over it. And please God that I'll never get over it. Some days I wake up and I'm like, I can't actually believe I'm a Christian. Whoa, this is unbelievable. And I, I'm not like that every day now, that's Catherine. But you know what I mean. These moments of just, wow. And here's another one of those incredible truths. I have the anointing of the Holy Spirit inside me. <laughs> it's just amazing. What, what's the possibilities? What's the possibilities for you, for me, for your family, for our church, for this nation, for the world, when the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is in all of us? All of us. No one excluded. And here's the incredible promise. Because the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, you have no need that anyone should teach you. Wow. Now, don't misunderstand what John is saying here. There's lots of other passages in the Bible that talk about the importance of living under authority and being taught by your leaders and being in the Word of God. But John is highlighting a particular truth here, that the Holy Spirit is your great teacher. Teacher. And here's what he wants us to cultivate. He wants us to cultivate this beautiful relationship with the God of heaven that becomes a beautiful two-way conversation because of the anointing that's in us, and we just learn to talk to him. God, I've got this problem. I don't know how to figure it out. And the anointing, the Spirit of God in us, begins to give us solutions. Those solutions can come in many, many different ways, but normally they just come in the peace and serenity of what it means to abide in Him. You see, you've got to slow down a wee bit. It's okay to have a busy life, but it's not okay to have a busy soul. And your soul is what's going on inside you. It's like sometimes Catherine would say to me, like, like, like slow, slow, slow down, slow down. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like running about? No, 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 no. Inside, slow down. Calm down and abide. And you see, when we abide, we get clarity. We get insight. We get solutions. We get beauty. We get truth. We get the way of the Lord when we abide. So here's what I want you to work at. Here's your homework for next week. Would you practice abiding in the anointing this week, even in the car? I almost fell asleep at the back during the worship. I felt like I needed to sit down. Not, it was great. It was wonderful. But that's the way it made me feel. It's like God saying, take a little nap in me. Take a little nap in me. Just rest. I've got it all sorted. Just enjoy the moment. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to ask the band to come, okay? 